so turn to the book of Acts chapter 5. We're going to read an, one of the fascinating accounts of the scripture, Acts chapter 5. And the story about uh, two people, husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira. And what happened when they went to church one day. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now, oh, before, I, before I go there, uh, just reminder from last week, uh, we've been talking, there's this little hiatus point that gives a, an inside look at what life was like in the body of Christ. And so if you back up to verse 32, you find that the believers have an uncommon care for one another and they share possessions so that there was no person with need among them. They just kind of, they, when they saw a need, they didn't organize a committee. They didn't go to the local government. They saw a need and said, let's do something about it. Let's just let God's love show. And so they, they shared with one another everything they had. And we have that picture, and it's not the first time you've seen that picture of the member care that was there, but it was it was probably a very precious season in the history of the church. Things were really it was a good spirit among the congregation. They were they were tuned in to the Lord and then to one another. And so a lot of what they did was because God prompted them to do that. So given that context. Now chapter 5 begins. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. You recall from the previous verses that, that that's something that Barnabas, the son of encouragement, did. He sold the field, verse 37, and, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of, piece of property also. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear, <laughs> and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, there may be experiences that we have in the journey that kind of give us pause. 
and maybe even kind of put the fear of God into us from time to time. This is one of those experiences in the life of the church. Um, do you recall the first time you ever saw a dead person? Think back, maybe get a few brain cells going here. Um, you saw somebody that was dead. Either they maybe went to a funeral, maybe you came upon an accident or whatever the situation was. Uh, can you recall any of those things? Can you go back? for a moment and, and talk to me a little bit about that, if, if that was part of your journey. Well, how many of you went to a funeral as a young person or a child? Uh, who was it that you would have gone to see? My grandfather. A grandfather? Okay. How old would you have would you been? Eight. Okay. See, vivid. sometimes, remember, yeah. Renee? Sister of your grandmother, okay? Someone else? Memorable, yeah. Twelve, okay. I, I remember a neighbor of ours when I was growing up. Her name was Florence Kastner. They ran a little mom and pop shop. There was a gas station, and uh, it didn't last real long as I grew up. It, it, they just went out of business from that side. But they lived, they retired and lived in, in the house right there, and then Earl Kastner died, died uh, afterwards, uh, or, or a while back. I don't remember anything about it. I remember Florence. I, I remember I would go over as a young kid, and we'd sit and play cards together. Uh, Florence was probably, she was old. She probably was 70. I don't think something about, you know, to do with that. So anyway, but I don't know how old she was, but she was older, and I was, I was probably 10, 12, something like that at very best. And But we'd go, and she'd teach me how to play solitaire, or we'd play some other kinds of card games or something like that. And she just appreciated the fact that somebody would take some time to come and say hello to her. That's all it was. And uh, no, no real family that I was aware of. I remember when she was taken ill, my dad and I went to the hospital. I remember going in the hospital. First time I was in a visit in the hospital. I remember the elevator. I remember the smells. And uh, I remember going up and seeing Mrs. Kastner, and she had... Uh, a lot of tubes in her, uh, that kind of thing. Subsequently, she passed away. I remember going to the funeral. And it was like the first time you encountered death from that side. And uh, my dad and, and I and my mom as well probably were uh, would, would go up and we stood at the casket. And I so wanted to reach out and see if that person was really, you know, yeah, what she may have, and I hope this isn't more of it, but what she may have felt, what was it like to touch somebody that had passed away? You know, there are all kinds of things that go through your head and mind. But, but that was kind of like my first introduction to it. Then not long after that, then it was a grandfather that passed away, and then, and then eventually a grandmother. And, and so you, you begin to get familiar with that. But when is the last time you went to, the, went to church and had somebody die at church? And so hence the sermon title, Dying to Go to Church. So that's my warped sense of humor there at that, at that point. So you can do what you want with that one. But in the normal course of things, when you go to church, the last thing you expect is a funeral, unless you go for a funeral. But you go to church expecting that people are going to be there, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to sing, we're going to pray, we might observe communion, we might preach the word. Those are normal expectations, but... On this particular Sunday, when they gathered in, it was probably during the offering. 
and 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 Ananias does some things, and you can kind of envision the backstory a bit and the conversation that he and his wife had had, and and maybe they remembered that the week before uh, Barnabas had really brought this gift laid at the apostles' feet, and maybe they were observing. And I thought, well, that's a really nice, generous thing for him to do, and and maybe we can do the same kind of thing, and maybe we'll be perceived by somebody else in, in a favorable light because we do something similar to what Barnabas did, and and then uh, maybe they'll, maybe they'll give us a window on the on the wall, you know, or you know, something, just as a memorable point. And so you envision how that all might have rolled out. So let me let me unpack this just a bit in Acts five. And so there are really a, a few thoughts that I have uh, in in regard to this account. First. It was a day when the usual suddenly turned unusual. The usual suddenly turned unusual. Now, if, if you haven't been part of the journey in the book of Acts, you, you'll miss some of this, but you can pick it up quick. A couple ways, either do a back read at your leisure or go online and listen to some of the old previous messages that might talk about some of the amazing things, the unusual things that happened. Uh, it seemed like, for, for much of the early life of the church, life was anything but usual. It was seemingly Sunday to Sunday unusual. You know, when's the last time you went to church and, and found 2,000 more people than when you began the week before? When's the last time that you that, that attendance bumped up by another 1,000? When's the last time that you went to church and somebody walked in who had been begging outside and now suddenly comes in and they're healed and they're straightened up and they're walking and leaping and praising God? When's the last time that happened? I suspect it probably hasn't happened recently for many of us, for most of us, maybe for all of us. But the point is that those were things that were going on, and that was the usual. God was at work demonstrating his power and his might among people to convince them of the veracity of the truth of his word and the power of, of Jesus, risen Jesus, that was able to be set loose among people regardless of what their theological preferences or backgrounds were. So the usual had been amazing. There were people being healed. There were things that were going on in the life of the church, very positive. Despite the opposition that came when the religious leaders got a little bit concerned about this anxious, this robust group of people who were witnessing, telling what Jesus had seen, all the things they had seen and heard, what he had done, and they tried to put the lid on it, tried to put the pressure on it, just kind of ramp them down and get them back in the box so they didn't create a problem. But despite that opposition, the church grew. There was expansion. Despite the expansion, it didn't get so big that they weren't able to care for one another. And that's an important balance that has to be kept in any church, regardless of its size. You want to make sure that you have member care as a part of what your theological underpinnings are. It was an unusual uh, a, a time and season, and the, and it, the usual suddenly turned unusual because they went to church that particular day, and and something happened. Something happened, and the unusual suddenly becomes alarming. I don't know how it all worked. I suspect that Peter had been given a word from God. 
is about the only way to call it a gift of discernment, whatever you want to call it, uh, a word from God about this man, Ananias, that came uh, to stand before him. And something prompted in Peter to ask a simple question to which Ananias could have come clean. But he chose to hide something rather than come clean. You know, isn't that what sometimes we can be about, where we try to hide something before God? Um, we, we play hide and seek with God sometimes. We sometimes don't like the idea of being open and honest. And yet the scriptures say, all things are open and honest before him with whom we have to deal. And so there's really no value in trying to be playing something with God. Honesty is best policy in terms of integrity of heart before God. But the unusual became alarming. The second is, uh, thought on this, is it was a day when people confronted the danger of pretense. And I chose that word because I think it's an important word, pretense. Uh, we get our word pretend from that, a very close word. And when you pretend something, um, it, it's not something you really are, but something maybe you envision yourself or would long to be. So when I was a kid, and I'll ask you to give me some of your pretend kind of situations too, but I'll be willing to go out on a limb first. I remembered that I, 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 it, was, it was at the point in time when television, uh, uh, I have to understand that when I was young, television was fairly new, okay? So well, I won't date myself any more than that. And I remember one of the television shows that came out was Superman with, uh, oh gosh, I had the name and I missed it. Uh, not, George Reeves. And uh, the original Superman, you know, and, and you know, and, and he'd rush in and he'd go and jump and, you know, fly away and suddenly they'd show him coming back in and he'd save the day and all that kind of stuff. I envisioned from time to time when I would gotten this plate that I could fly. And, and sometimes I would get hold of a towel or a blanket or something and you put it around and, and you just fly around pretending no, I couldn't fly. I'm glad I wasn't dumb enough to climb into a tree and try it. You know, uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for some amount of common sense, if you will. But uh, I can envision that I could do that. And so, you know, and I probably wasn't the only kid that thought he could fly, but be, I think it'd be kind of cool if you could kind of fly. All right, so I pretended. What kind of things did you pretend about when you were growing up? Yeah, Mike. I have to admit that I had the same. Okay. Did, but I want something unique. I used to like to ride my bicycle with okay. my headlamp on during the day and pretend I'm not Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, um, um. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. I wasn't alone in terms of the vision of it, you know, whatever. But when we talk about this, sometimes when we talk about the day when people confronted the danger of pretense, the danger is that you're simply pretending to be something that you're really not. 
and there's a danger at that at that point. Uh, um, I came across <laughs> I came across a book several years ago now, and it was done by a book by the name of uh, uh, the author's name was Tom Rainier. He's done a lot of work with uh, uh, analyzing or helping to minister to the church, and the uh, the title of the book was. I've, I've never seen a title like this. It was called The Autopsy of a Church. The Autopsy of a Church. And so it looked at what are the things that are characteristic of a church that is dead or dying. That's a, that's a very interesting thing to explore. You know, what, what are those characteristics? But that the concept of having the autopsy of a church. In this particular setting, I would talk about the autopsy at church. And under what was the cause of death? What was the cause of death? And a couple things come, obviously, from the passage of Scripture. First is, it, it, they died not just because they lied. That wasn't so much the issue. They died not just because they kept back part of the money. That was theirs. They, they, they had no obligation, no demand that was placed upon them that you had to come and you have to give X number of dollars in order that the pastor has a new boat or has a new jet, or whatever. Um, I'm sorry. I, 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 you, you can figure that one out later. Uh, but the point is that you know there was nothing demanded, nothing, nothing required that said you had to do this. So it wasn't that they kept back a part of things. The cause of death was simply that they tried to fool God. And, you know, we spend a lot of our life, people spend a lot of their time, life trying to fool God. They don't put it that way, but that's really what they are doing. Peter puts it this way in verse 3. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. In verse 4 he says, you have lied not to men, but to God. Sometimes we are people who are living a lie. Now it doesn't mean when you come to faith in Christ you'll never lie again. There's no immunity from that. There will always be that temptation because when we when you do things that that maybe you think don't stack up well compared to other people you have a tendency to try to cover that or hide it much like Ananias did it it was it was not the end there it was what was inside of him. It was what they were trying to pretend their uh, status was, Ananias, and subsequently then Sapphira. I found it interesting that the two men, uh, the two people, the two people did not live up to their names. And it's fascinating with the meaning of name. Now, do you know the meaning of your name by any chance? Yeah. yeah. The, valley. the valley. What? Born again. Born again. Uh, I have a daughter named Sharon. Um, uh, her name means princess. We, we have a son, our, our firstborn, who's named Timothy, which literally means honoring God. We have uh, our youngest daughter is Teresa. She's been in the worship here over the summer. And, it, uh, and, and her middle name is Irene, named after Barb's mom. And literally her name means harvester, of peace. Irene means peace. Irene is Greek word for peace. Teresa means harvester. So whatever your name is, and if you don't know what your name means, or you can go look it up. You know, I'm not here to 
give you all a new name or anything like that. But here, here's what Ananias' name translates to. God is gracious. And yet somehow, God didn't seem very gracious to Ananias that day. And it was probably because, not that God was not gracious, but that Ananias was trying to lie to the Holy Spirit. Sapphira, we get the gemstone is called Sapphire. And that literally means beautiful. And it wasn't a very beautiful day for Sapphira at the church that day. Uh, things that go on at that point. It, uh, I, I think I put it in, yeah, here. I, I said, hypocrisy is not just external. It starts first on the inside of us. We, we, we sometimes call people who pretend to be something they're not hypocrites. Sometimes we use that designation. Uh, church is full of hypocrites. You know, well, there are lots of hypocrites outside the church too. So what? Which, it's, we're just people. We're just people who either choose to be honest and live truthfully, or else we live our life covering one set of things or another. You know, I, I was reading an article uh, recently, and it talked about the epidemic of lying in our culture. Anymore, people don't give it a thought when they lie. It's, 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 it's like a non-issue. Everybody lies. I, I love to watch uh, some programs that deal with uh, Northwood's Law. Have you ever seen these on the educational channels? You know, they have uh, whatever, probably an animal planet or something like that. But, but uh, Northwood's Law or Northwest Law or something like that. And they're about game wardens that are going about trying to make sure people are complying with the, the rules of hunting and ownership and stuff like that. Inevitably, inevitably, they, they come across some, somebody, and here, here's one situation where they're out boating on the lake. They're out on their boat having a big party, and the game wardens come up to them and says, just doing a routine safety inspection today. I'd uh, like to know how you're doing. You have life jackets for everybody, and they check it all out. And, and then the most sober of the person on the boat who are partying, uh, you know, I'll ask them, well, have you had anything to drink today? Hmm. Let me see. How do I work this one? Uh, yeah, I've, I had some. How, how many have you had? Well, just one. It's just like, it's just like being truthful is just the last thing that you want. So whenever they run across somebody that's actually honest, they're delighted. But usually it takes a long while before you get to the honest part because people sometimes like to just kind of cover that they don't want to get caught. They don't want to get exposed. They don't want to be uh, have to pay in the wallet. You know, there are just all kinds of reasons why. But, but you know, that's not just fishing game and hunting. That's life. Sometimes we have a hard time being honest with one another. And yet the scriptures tell us that we are to speak the truth in love. Be, be truthful. Be honest with one another. Philippians 4.8 says, Whatever things are true and honest and good report, if there's any virtue, excellence, think on these things. And so we're called to be people who are people of the truth. Hypocrisy is not just external. It's not just somebody who does something. It starts inside of us. It was a day when the usual 
turned unusual, and it was a day when people confronted the danger of pretense. Now, I'm not under an illusion that you're a perfect group, that you do everything exactly the way God asks you to do it, and you do it, and you do it right away, immediately. And I, I know my nature, but I know our nature. is tendency not to do that. But by God's grace, he wants us to live authentically. And that was a wonderful picture of the church here in Acts chapters 4, 3 and 4. They lived authentically, honestly, before God. And here in verse chapter 5, you have this suddenly wake-up call to the church. And I think it was because, I think it was because God knows that this church needed to grow. And it could not grow if there was going to be this compromise of truth in the camp. Do you remember some Old Testament stories? Can I just take you back to one, Joshua chapter 6? The Old Testament story after the Battle of Jericho. Joshua, the Battle of Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down. And then they go in, and then there's character, this character named Achan, and some of his relatives go in, and there had been a ban put on, don't take anything out of there. But they thought, well, we can bend this law a little bit. And so they take a little bit and they hide it. It's hidden under the corner of his tent. Nobody's going to know about this. And then, and then they go up to this town in chapter 6 called Ai. This little town should have been a piece of cake. And, uh, and they find that uh, suddenly they get their, well, I get their butts kicked. You know, uh, they just, it's unusual. This is just, God gave us this great walled city of Jericho, and now we can't defeat, defeat this little town of Ai. And, and, and God, Joshua goes to God and says, God, what's wrong? Why didn't you show up? And he says, there's sin in the camp. That's the storyline. They were trying to live without being truthful. The command was this. They did that, and they hid it. They hide it. It's just like we sometimes try to hide the truth. It's like Ananias and Sapphira sometimes tried to hide the truth. And, 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 then, and then God kind of blows the whole thing open and, and gives a word to Joshua uh, and says, I want you to go, and I want you to go to this tribe, and then I want you to grow. It gets closer and closer and closer, and, and Achan's probably sitting outside his tent and saying, oh, God, I hope it doesn't come near me. And sure enough, He's found out. Now the consequence for the community of God at that point was they rounded them all up, took them out, and there was death that they encountered. It's interesting here that that's precisely what happens when they lied against the Holy Spirit. They died. Now, I am so grateful that every time we tell a non-truth, God doesn't have a sudden funeral arrangement made for us. God is gracious. Ananias should have known that because that was what his name was about. But God is still gracious, and he doesn't always bring about consequence and effect, cause and effect right away in process. But the, the cause of that death was that they tried to fool God, fool God and live a life of pretense. Um, I don't know how else to tell you uh, city light congregation, but it will do no good to try to live wonderfully good on Sunday to impress people 
and not authentically during the week. It's not going to get you any brownie points with God. If anything, it just causes you to live a life of misery because you have to keep remembering what was truth and what wasn't. And lying against the Holy Spirit has consequences. Finally, it was a day when the fear of God became more important than the opinions of people. The fear of God became more important than the opinions of people. Two verses in particular, verse 5 and verse 11. Verse 5 puts it this way, And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Verse 11 says, Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, how this all rolled out, I can't tell you. It seemed like they didn't have much time for embalming. They didn't have much time for a funeral arrangement. Uh, Ananias drops dead. And I don't know whether it was a heart attack. I could envision that, you know. You, oh, no, you know, and just kind of, you know, and he gives it up. I, I can envision that as a possibility. It might be a very similar kind of thing in terms of Sapphira and her just, I've been found out, and, and it may be, I, I don't think God's looking looking out around and saying, I wonder who I can zap today. I don't think that's a part of the theology of the nature of God. But but sometimes sin has consequences. And sometimes, as a matter of fact, what's the one when we come to this table? Uh, let a man examine himself. Take a look inside. And, uh, and then eat and drink. And as a matter of fact, one portion of the scripture that relates to communion says, says, because you've taken or eaten an unexamined way, you eat and drink condemnation or judgment to yourself. You're not living authentically. And then Paul says in that passage, for this, because of this, some of you are weak. That is, there are physical things going on in your body, and some have died. So this is not something to sneeze at when we come to the table. It requires us to make our humble confession to God and we come before him and allow him to minister to us as, as, as sinners saved by God's grace, but longing to, to follow hard after God. The opinions of people sometimes keep us from living authentically. But even this event couldn't stop the church from growing. It was because God was more concerned about the holiness of the church, living people, people living truthfully, than he was about what somebody else thought about some some other people or what what the community thought about that church. Um, there are all kinds of things that, that go on. There's a there's a British writer, his name is Campbell G. Campbell Morgan, and in his works, one book called The Acts of the Apostles, he writes of this event. He says this. The church pure is the church powerful. It has always been so. Mathematics have no place in the economy of God. Numbers are nothing. Quality is everything. I love the first part of that say, statement. The church pure is the church powerful. We have the power of the Holy Spirit being set loose in Acts 3 and 4. And then you have this little hiatus piece where it gives us window look inside. And the heart of God is more concerned about the purity of the church 
than he is about the status of the church or the size of the church or the stunningness of the church. He's more concerned about the purity. So in this particular passage of Acts chapter 5, which is an unusual window into the church, it's a good picture because God sometimes deals with us what one writer has called the severe mercy of God to bring his people to holiness and oneness together. They had it going so very well. And then Ananias and Sapphira thought that they could just kind of bend the rules a bit. And that's probably the light end of the description. Thought they could just get by it and, and, and learn the hard lesson that God longs for us to be people of integrity. Um, we sing sometimes... Uh, righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I need. Another verse. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. God is very concerned about maintaining the integrity of the church as a people who are living authentically under the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we resume back to verse 12 and look at that next week in Acts chapter 5, you'll find that God's back to the business of doing miraculous things in the life of the body of Christ when they will choose to live from the inside out in integrity before God. So the call to us today is simply this. Start or keep going in living authentically before God pursuing after him. Now, so far, you've all made it and alive at the end of the sermon. And I hope that, that I hope that it lasts, at least to get out of the building. You know, but, but, but I don't envision that Ananias and Sapphira had a whole lot of thought going to the fact that they would be discovered. Uh, a number of years ago, a retired pastor now, well, actually he's with the Lord now, when I first came into the district back in 1980, <laughs> uh, we would have special meetings uh, in the fall of the year. And, and one year I invited a fellow pastor, who actually was in Mount Union, and was a pastor evangelist. His name was Bill Wallet. Bill came down and uh, did a series of special meetings, like three, four nights a week, whatever, Sundays or Wednesday, whatever, doing it at that point. But I remember one message that he preached. And the title of the message, it wasn't uh, dying to go to church. He, he wouldn't probably step that low. But, but the one message that he preached, I remember, was called The World's Greatest Detective. The World's Greatest Detective. And I thought, oh, well, that's going to be done. And it was based upon a portion of Scripture that sim simply says this. Be sure your sin will find you out. The world's greatest detective. I, th I think of that from time to time. Sin has a way of finding us out. So live in integrity and authenticity before God. Allow him to just put the heart and love of God in you as you touch the world for Jesus. Um, Allow him to meet you as you go. So let's pause for prayer. Our Father, 
Um, we've avoided uh, any dramatics here today that would be akin to this. And uh, we thank you that we can learn lessons from your word, lessons of living honestly before God, not trying to fool you, not trying to lie against the Holy Spirit. Now, you know where we're at in the journey, each one of us. And my prayer is that you would just help us to just yield ourselves with our face toward you and say, Father, you know my heart. You know my need. Work in me both to will and to do of your good pleasures that I might glorify Jesus in everything I say and do. As you work in us, may we find the beauty of Jesus just kind of spilling over to other people around us because we are in love with him and we are baptized by his love and able to stand and speak to others about us. So bless, I pray, this people as they have come in on this Sunday and meet them as they go. May they serve you well. Use them for the greater glory of God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for giving good attention today. Pray God bless you as you go and encourage one another. Um, say hello to folks if you haven't had a chance to say, say that already. God bless you. Have a great day.